time for the Retirement Roadmap Podcast with registered financial consultant, Glenn Mosseller. Thanks for being with us today on the Retirement Roadmap Podcast. This is Walter Storholt alongside Glenn Mosseller, registered financial consultant and the founder and president of Roadmap Financial Consulting. And today we're going to be talking about going against the grain. We're going to kind of put uh, Glenn under the spotlight today, and he's going to give us a, a half dozen ways that he maybe goes against the grain, or at least analyze a situation where an advisor might go against the grain of the you know most popular way of thinking. Because you know what, being a good advisor isn't always about winning a popularity contest or just saying the same things that everyone else in the industry says or just trying to make people happy. It's about giving the best advice that you can in each individual situation. And so on today's show, we're going to peel that curtain back a little bit to discuss some of the areas where a good financial advisor's opinions might go against the grain of mainstream ideas in the industry. So this should be a little bit of fun, Glenn, if you are uh, ready and willing to play along. All right, Walter. Sounds like a very interesting topic. All right. Perfect. Now, in our previous episode, we talked a lot about risk from the retiree perspective. Let's flip it around to the advisor's perspective. Do you kind of go against the grain in compared to, to Wall Street or the financial industry or just however we broadly want to define that financial world when it comes to the amount of risk uh, of retiree or a pre-retiree is supposed to take? You know, I mean, it, it, the, you know, what is appropriate? I, I think I, we come back to a common theme that, you know, that, that we've, we've talked about, you know, again and again throughout, you know, throughout the years. And that is that there's no one size fits all. Right. And I think there's just so much of the industry is, is really geared around. It's like, OK, well, once you once you reach this this age, you're going to have this type of portfolio and and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And, you know, and, and that's and that doesn't always fit. Right. I mean, that's not always appropriate. It, you know, it really depends upon, you know, what are your objectives? What's important to you? You know, what resources do you have? Right. I mean, it, it's, it's, you know, those are significant things that, that are, you know, not necessarily part of the overall, of the overall numbers. Right. Cause, you know, everybody's different has different personalities and different different objectives and so forth they have different resources right i mean you know when you when you look at when you look at situations i mean let's take let's take a you know an ex, you know extreme cases you know i actually have i have one client that you know where you know mr retired from a you know from a you know a large corporation he has a social security he has a pension from there he saved money into retirement accounts as well Mrs. has actually two um, pensions because she was a school teacher and she retired from two different school systems. So she has two pensions as well as her Social Security and she saved some money into her retirement accounts, right? Well, in their in their particular case, their their foundational money, their their monthly cash flow, you know, between two Social Security checks and three pensions, they're they're good. Right. And so they're in a scenario where if they if they want to, they can take significant amount more risk with the other assets that they have just because it's not necessary to put food on the table and to, you know, to keep the lights on and whatnot. Whereas you have you have, a you know, a lot, you know, a whole lot of folks that it's like, you know, maybe that, you know, maybe they have a, you know, a Social Security check. You know, if it's a married couple, they probably have two. You know, sometimes, you know, both of them are, are kind of robust. Sometimes, you know, one's robust and the other one is, is, is not, not as much or, you know, depending upon their work history, those numbers might be, you know, down a little bit compared to, you know, others that, that you might be talking to. Then you have to think in terms of, okay, well, if your income is going to be X number of dollars coming in from your social security benefits, 
and you have, you know, you know, Y amount of expenses is, you know, is there a gap? Is there a difference between, you know, what your cash flow in is versus your cash flow out? And then what other resources do you have to help us, you know, think in terms of how are we going to fill that gap, right? Well, in that scenario, there, there's th those those resources and those accounts that they that they've saved into, you know, for all, all these years for you know for retirement, that those those accounts are going to play a significantly different role because they're going to have to you know provide some of that fi foundational you know cash flow and, and income to to provide the lifestyle versus the you know the couple that had you know the you know the you know several pensions, right? So you really have to look at every particular situation differently as well as you know you you know you can have variations within those two that I was just describing and, and all things in between you really got to kind of just chunk down and then say okay it's not necessarily about what's the appropriate amount of risk for a retiree or a pre-retiree the better question is is what's the appropriate amount of risk for you in your retirement years right and so and then we and we start to look at well what do you need and and what do you want to see happen and then we start to build the plan around that and it's it's it's, it's there's there's some subtle distinctions there but they're important i th i think it's just one of the ways where a good advisor is willing to go against the grain and at least have that uh, deeper conversation of the meaning of risk in a retirement plan. Again, if you want to hear more about risk and how it applies maybe to your situation and how to properly manage it, understand it, all that good stuff, go check out our previous episode on that topic from last week. Here's another good one, Glenn. Do you go against the grain when it comes to the appropriate use of life insurance? Yeah, so... So much, so much, so much of the advice out there that you see is, is that, well, once you retire, you know, there's not really any reason to have life insurance. Right. And so, again, it's just like you got to be very careful with the, the one size fits all scenario. I mean, there there there's a number of util, you know, utilizations of, of how do you, you know, where would life insurance be appropriate? Right. It could be it could be a scenario where, you know, maybe you don't need any life insurance. Right. That, I mean, that's a possibility for some, you know, for some folks. Right. I mean, that that first that first couple that I was just describing that had between the two of them, they had three pensions. And two social security checks, they didn't. Ha they don't really have the big, you know, need for life insurance unless they wanting to, you know, leave, you know, leave a, you know, a legacy to, you know, kids and grandkids that they know will, you know, you know, will happen, or they want to, you know, leave this, you know, kind of a, you know, a big, a big death benefit to a cause that they care about. But you know, their situation is is significantly different, right? But they, you know, so that's that's one that's one example where they they may not need life insurance, but they might want life insurance, you know, it, it, because it's it's you know depends upon their out their outcomes and their objectives, right? There's other utilize, utilization that of life insurance that you can have though, you know, the idea was when you're in your when you're in your working years, you know, more often than not, the idea of life insurance is is there, you know, is there because folks think in terms of okay, well, if something happens to me. Need to make sure that there's money there to be able to create, you know, create, you know, future, you know, future income for, you know, for my surviving spouse and my family, right? Well, that may that may actually still be there if one spouse passes away and the surviving spouse, you know, you know, loses, you know, some income. There might be there might be a pension, you know, that that either gets reduced or eliminated. Certainly, one of the Social Security, you know, benefit checks is going to stop coming. So there might be a need for additional income. Right. You know, the the other the other thing that happens in that scenario is, is that your whole tax situation changes. You go from 
married filing jointly to filing as a single filer. So automatically your you know your standard deduction gets cut in half and you have you know half as much room in the in the tax brackets before you get to the next tax bracket and you know so there there might be a need for you know for income there. There may be there may be a reason to kind of look at you know life insurance anew because maybe you looked at it years and years and years ago but maybe you're in in retirement or you're getting ready to retire and you realize hey I know I need something there for long-term care and most people that I talk to you know when they when they first come in the office there's no hedge against long-term care costs and that kind of thing well there are there are types of life insurance policies out there that you know that you know with the, with the appropriate riders and the and the appropriate you know type of uh you know if you put it together and you design it right you know it can it can have it can have you know benefits that while you're living you know that it, that it can it can help against uh, the you know the risk of of long-term care costs but if you don't need it for long-term care then it's there for your you know for your surviving spouse and or your family so that might be another reason to consider life insurance at least the the idea that I always try to you know convey to folks, Walter, is is the the idea that you want to understand what choices are out there in the marketplace, and then evaluate whether or not it you know it's it's right for you, rather than just saying, oh well, you know I've always heard that once you retire, you know you don't need that. Well, that that might be true, but that might not be true, and I think it would be wise to be able to make that decision for yourself based upon your particular situation and and understanding things that you might not have a full understanding of quite yet. And that is helpful, I think, to get that perspective, Glenn. And I don't think a lot of people realize that that conversation even is had in that amount of depth, that appropriate use of life insurance, especially retirees and pre-retirees, not realizing there's a lot to dive into there. All right, here is a third way that perhaps you go against the grain, Glenn. What's the discussion look like around paying off the house, whether to do that quickly or keep that payment on the books if you've got a low interest rate. I know that a lot of people have different feelings about what makes the most financial sense versus what feels the best and that sort of thing. Right, right. Well, again, Walter, I mean, again, there's not really a one-size-fits-all scenario, right? There's several things in play there, and, you know, and then we're we're not going to hit every one of them, but let's try to touch on the majors, right? You know, one of the one of the first things we want to look at is, are you planning to stay in that house? Are you planning to, you know, are you planning to, you know, to downsize? Are you planning to move to another area? You know, that that would be one of my first questions in terms of, you know, whether or not we want to pay off the house. And it's like if you're planning, if you're planning to, you know, to move soon, then then, you know, maybe maybe that's something that, you, you know, you kind of put that idea of paying it off in the back burner because you're, you know, you're, you're making that transition to some, you know, to, you know, other living arrangements, right? That's, that's first. Second thing is, is that let's say that you're going, that you are going to stay, right? And then you, then you're thinking in terms of, well, you know, if, should I, you know, should, I've got money sitting over here in this account. Should I take this and, you know, and pay off, you know, pay off the house? Well, you know, one thing you have to really kind of think in terms of is, is how old is your mortgage, right? You know, because if, if most most people understand that an amortized, you know, an amortized loan, as it gets, as it gets, you know, more seasoned and later in the loan, that, you know, the, the amount of each payment that's going towards interest versus how much is going towards principal, you know, is, is reducing. In other words, you know, as you get, as you get towards the, the latter years in the loan, more of that payment is going to principal and less of it's going to interest. Right. And so when you think of it in those terms, it's like, well, okay, what is the principal part of your payment? Well, the principal part of your payment is actually your money. You're just transferring it from one account 
to, you know, into the house, right? So you're taking it from one asset to putting it in another asset, you know, and if, and if there's very little interest that's existing in that payment, you know, you have to ask is, well, is it worth taking it from a liquid account and then putting it into something that's less liquid, you know, in, in, in the form of the house? And is that really, you know, putting you in a, in a, you know, in a better position or would you be in a better position to have more liquidity you know, and say, okay, well, I've got this, I've got this, you know, X amount of dollars in this payment is actually an expense. The rest of it is, is I'm just moving it from the right pocket to the left pocket, right? I mean, that's something that a lot of folks don't really think about or, or look at. And, you know, you might, you might be just as well off or probably better off in some cases to just leave, leave it in place and continue to make the payments. Even though you say, well, gosh, that adds to my monthly cash flow needs. Well, maybe so, maybe not. But but if you drain an account and, you know, take a whole bunch of money out of an account, you know, and pay something off, well, you know, you don't have that expense anymore, but you don't you don't have that asset that you had over there that you just transferred into into your house, if that makes sense. That's that's something to to consider. Some folks might look at that whole scenario that I just out, you know, laid out there and they might decide still that they want to pay it off. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. But again, you want to understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. There's other possibilities of, you know, do you want to utilize your, you know, your your home equity for, you know, for any kind of, you know, emergency fund. Some folks are comfortable with that idea. Some people are not. Some people are, you know, when you start to explore the possibilities of a reverse mortgage, there's pros and cons to that. Right. You know, it's not all good. It's not all bad. There can be advantages to utilizing that and of being able to draw money out without having to to have required payments. Right. But that's something, again, that should be in the in the conversation and be, you know, and be understood. And so folks, you know, want you, you know, the, my basic thought and process, Walter, is, is that, you, you know, is you need to understand what your choices are. And then may and then make an educated decision, right? And so, in, in doing that, you know what you're saying yes, and you know what you're saying no to. If you're at a place of lack of knowledge or something that's outside of your awareness, you're making choices of yes and no without even knowing what you're saying yes and no to. And I don't think that that's a very good place for folks to be, and certainly it's not a a, a way of making intelligent decisions. Important discussion to have uh, because it comes down to the paying off the house, that type of debt, and uh, there's different emotions involved. Good breakdown there, Glenn. All right, what about another area segment of the financial world? Let's talk about annuities. Do you go against the grain when it comes to talking about the appropriate use of those products, annuities, in a financial plan for someone? Well, again, Walter, it kind of depends a little bit, right? I mean, you have different, you have different areas of the financial services industry, right? I mean, you have the insurance world and you have the, you know, and you have the, um, the investment world, right? The securities world. And, you know, and, and, and no surprise, surprise, you know, the insurance world doesn't think very much of this, uh, of the investment world and the investment world generally doesn't think a whole lot of the insurance world, right? I mean, there's a, there's a, you know, there's somebody out there in the marketplace that is, you know, has kind of made their whole marketing ploy is, is like, I hate annuities and so should you, Right. Well, you know, that's, you know, that's sometimes good marketing, right? But again, you have to kind of step back from it and say, okay, well, is that appropriate for you and specifically, right? You know, I, I know, you know, I've done, I've done lots and lots of workshops and, and, and courses and things like that in the library and in the colleges and so forth. And, you know, and talk to folks and it's like, you know, kind of do informal polling a lot of times. And I'll, you know, I'll ask folks, it's like, you know, well, how many of you all have, you know, have pensions, right? And a few hands will go up, you know, and typically not that many hands, but a few hands will go up. 
right? And so then I'll then I'll ask folks. It's like after that question, we'll follow up and say, well, for those of you who don't have you know a pension, how many of you would like to have a pension? And virtually every hand goes up, right? So you yes, think like in terms of well, what is a pension, right? A pension is is the idea of having a reliable, consistent paycheck for the rest of your life, right? Well, that's one of the things that an annuity can do for you, right? There's, you know, there is, you know, you know, now does it now make sense to take part of your nest egg, you know, and basically buy a, a private pension, right? To have that consistent income through time. Well, the answer is maybe yes, maybe no. Again, it's not a one size fits all, right? It's not that it's like, okay, annuities are bad or annuities are great. I mean, they're, they're, it's, they are what they are, right? They're a tool in the toolbox. They do what they do. There's no other product in the financial world that can provide you income for life and know that it's going to be there, you know, you know, regardless, you know, as, as to, you know, what happens in the marketplace, you know, and, th and then it's that you, you're going to have that reliable income. You know, if you have other accounts, whether it be a bank account or a, or a brokerage account or whatnot, if your balance hits zero and you want to continue to make, you know, withdrawals, <laughs> there's no, there's no money there, right? Well, you know, with you know, with an you know insurance product like an annuity that's designed to pro, you know provide lifetime income, well, that's that's a that's a possibility, and that can be a very good thing. Is it for everybody? Absolutely not. You know, is it for some people? Absolutely. It depends. You know, the idea is is that we need to explore that, and you know, and, and throw out the ideas of these 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 grand generalizations that folks are using for marketing, and say, okay, let's look at your particular situation. Let's make sure that you understand what your choices are. Let's weigh the pros and the cons, and let's not you know, be biased to one part of the industry versus the other. Let's see what is it that you need, right? What is it that you want to see happen? And then you can make the choices uh, you know, as, as, as you see best once you understand you know, the dynamics of what's there and then also what is also available in the, in the marketplace to help you solve you know, the, 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 the situations that you're facing. That's a great point, Glenn. And yeah, I know that uh, going against the grain when it comes to the conversation about annuities is, is maybe just depending on perspective, right? Because some people definitely, that's um, a very polarizing topic. So one group might view you're going against the grain if you go one way, and then you're going against the grain if you go the other way to the other group. So <laughs> that's a good one to uh, well, to certainly that's bring exactly up. right, Walter. That's exactly right. And the, and the biggest thing is is that you know it's, it's like it's not my job to make the securities industry happy or the or the investment world happy. It's not my job to make the insurance world happy, right? Or, you know, or, or different carriers, you know, happy. What my job is, is to, you know, help folks, you know, figure out what's appropriate for their particular situation. And like I say, I mean, there's sometimes where we lean one way versus the other, or maybe we, we eliminate something, you know, because it's not really appropriate for their particular situation. But that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It just means that it's, it's not right for this person at this time. But it might, you know, but it's, it's, it, it can very well be something that's appropriate for somebody else in a different situation. Well, Glenn, I think that's a great breakdown. That's five, uh, no, that's four of the six. So we got two left here as we have a little half dozen ways that you go against the grain. So we talked about appropriate use of annuities. What about the appropriate use of mutual funds? Do you go against the grain of the industry norm there? 
Right. Well, again, it depends upon the industry, right? I mean, the industry being the, you know, the idea of insurance world, banking world and the investment world. Right. Again, it's I mean, it's a it's a similar type of an answer as to what we were just talking about. It's just on the other other side of the coin. The idea you know, of, you know, there, there are there's so much of the industry is out there saying, you know, well, you know, you, you, you want to stay away from annuities. You want to stay away from the insurance products. Everything that you're wanting to accomplish can be done with, you know, within, you know, within the markets and, you know, and, 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 and so forth. Well, you know, as you see markets go up and you see markets go down, you know, maybe that's true. Maybe that's not true in your particular situation. You know, are you comfortable with, you know, with with all the ups and downs and so forth? Right. Are you going to have sustainable income throughout your lifetime? You know, if you trust, you know, everything to the marketplace that, you know, that can that can vary in, in terms of the value. Right. Again, it's it's never a one size fits all. And, you know, there's there's typically there's typically a place for, you know, having, you know, having money in the in the markets and potentially having money in, you know, in different types of mutual funds. But, you know, the amount of what's there and then also what are those particular funds designed to do and, you know, and how are they managed? Right. That also plays into it. Right. I mean, not all mutual funds are created equal. Right. Some, you know, some have significantly more risk than others. And, you know, and, you know, and, and so there's so you've got to you do a deeper dive. Right. And, and then once you do that deeper dive, then you have the ability to make informed decisions as to know, again, what, what are, what am I saying yes to? What am I saying no to? And not just making those choices by default without really understanding what you're, what you're, what you're deciding upon. Yeah, that's a good point as well, Glenn. All right, let's get to this last one. Good talk about mutual funds there, but what about cash? How much money should I have in cash? If that's the question, what's the general school of thought? And then do you go against the grain there? Right. So, well, the general school of thought is, is that you should have, you know, six months to a year's worth of expenses sitting, you know, in an emergency fund. And that emergency fund, you know, for the vast majority of people is going to be, you know, a bank account or maybe several bank accounts, right? You know, that's a fun, that's a fine thing to do. I wouldn't, I wouldn't fight with anybody about it's like whether or not they should, they should have that, you know, sitting on the side. Some people, however, are, you know, it's like, well, you know, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm just not really, you know, there's not really much interest there. I know it's liquid. I know it's, you know, it's protected. But, you know, you know, is there something else that I can potentially do, right, in terms of having that emergency fund? Because typically, I mean, think about it. Why are you going to have a bunch of cash, you know, uh, you know, sitting around? Well, you know, typically it's, it's you know, it's, it's either going to be, you know, for an emergency fund, you know, or a sense of security or something that you know that you're going to be spending money on. Like maybe you've got, you know, you know, you're going to have to replace a car or, you know, a, you know, an air conditioner system or something like that. And you know that you need to be able to pay for that. Right. That that's, you know, that's one thing. But, you know, you, you, you think in terms of, well, what is the, the appropriate amount of cash? Well, you evaluate those pieces of the puzzle. But really, it comes down to access to capital, right? I mean, do you do you have do you have do you have access to money that you might need for a particular situation that might arise, right? If it's outside of your normal monthly expenses, then you know how are you going to how are you going to budget for that? And some folks are saying, you know, the only way I want to even think about budgeting for that is to have money sitting over here in cash, and that and that's an appropriate answer. There are other folks that kind of look at that and say, well, I don't want to let you know, that, I mean, those things kind of happen, you know, every now and again, and they don't happen all that often. And do I really want to earmark that much cash to sit there for something that might happen once every couple, three, four, maybe, maybe 10 years? That might not be the appropriate thing to do either. 
So again, it's like, you know, do you have access to capital? Well, what does that mean? You know, do you have, can you maybe borrow against your house, you know, for a short-term bridge loan and then pay that back? That could be done through an equity line of credit. That could be done through a reverse mortgage line of credit. For some people, that's an appropriate way of thinking about access to capital. For other folks, they say, absolutely, positively, there's no way I'm going to ever think about that. The house is off limits. I'm, I, it's it's got to sit there. It's, it's free and clear or soon to be free and clear. And that's that. And again, it's not, a, well, you should do this or you should do that. My should you do this or should do that is, is understand what your choices are. And then be able to make, you know, make this informed decisions based upon, you know, weighing the pros and cons, right? There are, there are other things that you might be able to access, you know, you know, cash from, you know, some folks have, you know, have life insurance policies that have, you know, have significant cash values that they could potentially borrow against. That's another possibility of having emergency cash or, or, you know, or having something that's unexpected come up. So again, it's really, to me, Walter, it's not saying, okay, you've got to have X amount sitting in the bank, you know, in a bank account. It's more of, it's like, well, whatever that amount is that you, that, that, you know, is, is that six to six months to a year that you want to have access to. The question is, is, you know, do you have a place to turn that you can access that, that is an, uh, that is appropriate for you and your risk tolerance and, and you're, and you're okay with weighing out the pros and the cons and, and you're comfortable by, you know, drawing the, drawing the cash out from here or there. That's more important to me that, that you understand, you know, the dynamics of what's there, you know, what your, you know, what, what the, what the benefits are versus, you know, versus the cons of doing it, you know, this way, you know, this way versus that, and then, and then decide. Obviously, everybody needs to have access to capital. The question is, is where are you going to draw it from, you know, if necessary? And that's, and that's going to vary from different, you know, from people to people. Well, Glenn, good uh, discussion, I think, on all these different points today. And uh, it's really important to have these discussions with your advisor that can certainly walk you through all of these different conversations. And it's good to know where they go against the grain a little bit, where they maybe align or agree with the rest of the financial industry. It's not always going to be the same. And there's going to be nuances even when it comes to your particular situation as to whether it's good for you to also go against the grain or to go with the uh, you know regular line of thinking. It all comes down to customized planning in the end. We can have these general conversations all day and try and increase our overall financial knowledge. But uh, eventually, you got to come in, go through your specific goals, your situation, and really plan for the future that way. And so if you'd like to walk through with uh, an experienced advisor, somebody like Glenn Mosseller, who is a registered financial consultant and the founder and president of Roadmap Financial Consulting, you can schedule a free consultation virtually by going to roadmapfinancial.com. That's roadmapfinancial.com. Meet via Zoom uh, from the, you know, wherever you're most comfortable, uh, no matter where you are at a time that is great for you. You can do that again at roadmapfinancial.com. Look for the free consultation button. Or if you'd prefer, pick up the phone, ask Glenn a couple of questions, and then set up that time to visit. You can do that by calling 336-291-3535. 336-291-3535. Glenn, great help on the show today. Really appreciate you, and uh, we'll look forward to chatting again soon. All right, Walter, take care now. All right, new episodes every week. Come back and join us for the next one right here on the Retirement Roadmap Podcast. <laughs> 